Welcome to She Will Not Fall, a podcast and community dedicated to women who are daring to reimagine and redefine their faith, their gift, their call, and how they present them to the world. I'm your host, Marielle, and as always, it is a privilege and a pleasure to be in this sacred space with you yet again. If you are a return listener, thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time, I'm really excited to have you in this space. Listen, we are in season two, and season two is all about liberation. I hope that you have enjoyed the episodes thus far. I know that I have. Every conversation has been so rich and nuanced. Um, And today is not going to be any different. We have another amazing guest. But before I dive into today's guest, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, if you aren't following us on Instagram, make sure you head on over there at She Will Not Fall Collective. Again, She Will Not Fall Collective. If you would like to contribute monetarily to the podcast, you can be a part of our Patreon community. It supports the podcast and other projects that I'm working on. I go to patreon.com backslash I am Mary LT. If you want to do a one-time donation, that's cool too. Check the show notes for that. So listen, today's guest, um, I discovered her on TikTok and just fell in love with her content uh, and just knew I really wanted to have her on the podcast. Today, I talked to Rev Raya. Um, She's so dope and um, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, but let me tell you a little bit about her and her background. Rev Raya is a Virginia native who currently serves as a youth pastor in New Haven, Connecticut. She is passionate about womanist theology, multi-ethnic church, and building healthy Christian communities. Rev Raya has a background in sociology and theology with a BA from Hampton University and an MDiv from Yale Divinity School. I was really excited to talk about liberation with her because I knew she would bring a womanist theologian perspective, but then also her perspective as a youth pastor um, and, and really nurturing this next generation. So I'm not going to delay it any further. I need you to sit back. I need you to relax. And let's hear this week why Rev Raya will not fall. All right, welcome back to another episode of She Will Not Fall. I'm really excited. In season two, we are talking about liberation. And today, my guest is Rev Raya. I actually discovered her on TikTok and love her TikTok. So um, I was like, I got to bring her into this space. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yay, of course. So how we try to get to know some of our guests is we ask an opening question. I know it's hard, but <laughs> I really feel like it does show people's personality and it lets us know a little bit more about who you are. So if you had to describe yourself as a song title or a book title, what would it be and why? Um, this this is a really hard question. Um, I, ooh, I would have to say Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Um, that is that is me that is who I try to especially who I feel inside um so like I'm always the contrarian like uh especially especially at work or any type of group scenario everybody's on board I'm like but does it have to be this way are we doing it this way just because we feel like we should be doing this way like I'm the one to, to buck tradition uh to buck authority uh there was a point in high school for about six months where I signed my name Mariah X because I I was in a a predominantly white high school. And I was like, y'all aren't understanding. We don't know our history. I don't know where I really came from. So like I was 
I mean, majorly influenced by Malcolm X, uh, love public enemy. So fight the power would be have to be what I say. That's a good one. I really like that. So fight the power. Yes. Yes. And I think honestly, as women, when we are like that, we're told that we're bossy, aggressive, hard to work. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like, no, we're not. Yeah. Overly masculine. All of it. Yes. All of it. Not a fan. Yes. So I love that. I love how that describes you. That's amazing. So I think it actually ties into what we're going to talk about. So liberation. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that there are communal definitions to liberation, but I always like to start with um, personal reflection. So what does liberation mean to you personally? And how do you define it with what Mm -hmm. you do? Yeah. Um, So liberation for me, it means fully living into God, who God has created me to be. And living in communion with God and my neighbors uh, connected through love and not out of fear or coercion or uh, or feeling or feelings of shoulds. Uh, I should do this and I should do that. But um, but living in communion and community through connected through love. Um, personally, I define that as the Holy Spirit, but I just say generally through love. Um, and I think I would define it um, as I would define liberation as being able to fully live authentically um, in the absence of oppression and marginalization um, and to explore the fullness that life has to offer. Um, like I think of um, uh, kind of the scripture that for me kind of comes to mind when I think of liberation is like when Jesus says, I came that you might have life and life abundantly or life to the full right for me that that kind of sums up liberation is like what is the fullness of life look like um in my context and for me as a person and that is what like liberation um and that's a liberation i strive towards yeah i think that's really good to me because i i usually challenge this um when people are like you know well we'll be liberated in the afterlife. And I'm like, but Jesus came for us to be liberated in this one. I I want to live liberated now. Exactly. It's like, I don't want to have to wait to the afterlife to experience liberation. Like I want to be able to have it now. And I love that it's the absence and being my whole authentic self, but the absence of oppression and -hmm. systems of power that keep that. I love that. Like to be able to be holy myself and not have to worry about anybody trying to subdue me or anybody trying mm-hmm. to silence me, any of those things. I love it. I love it. love it. So and it's a, it's a process. I'm working towards it, but that's, yeah. that's the goal. Exactly. I think every day is a process. Um, I think that's a part of liberation is knowing that yeah. every day may look different and mm-hmm. every day liberation may look different for you, depending on where you are, what environment, what you're doing. Um, so it can take on different forms. Yeah, for sure. So can you tell me now that we know what it means for you personally, how does liberation show up in the work that you do? So the thing that you do in this world, how does liberation show up? Um, For me, as somebody who considers myself a womanist, it is the backbone of everything I do Um, in ministry and TikTok. It's the backbone of everything. Um, I think uh, I'd like to think of my mission is to help people see God bigger um, than they could possibly imagine. So I think 
I think about how we, we first, we have to liberate God from these boxes uh, that we've tried to put God in, right? To control, like these boxes of control and these boxes of like misogyny and homophobia and fear and and all of those things. And like, once we are able to liberate God from like this box that we've put God in, then like God is able, able to do the liberating work in our lives. Um, so that is what uh, I do as a pastor. Right. I I'm a youth pastor uh, in Connecticut, and I see my goal as teaching my students about a God of liberation, a God of justice. Um, I say all the time, I want them to develop a faith that doesn't need to be deconstructed in 20 years because it was based on fear and control and manipulation and all of those things. Right. So I give them um, I try to give them the God that I have. Right. Yes, I have years of study of theology and all of those things. But that doesn't mean they don't still need to understand the same concepts. So um, so they don't know that they're learning womanist theology. They don't know that they're learning liberation theology. But they know that God is not white. God is not a, a white man. God is not a male name. Um, but that God cares about the oppressed. God cares about the marginalized. And they at least know in my view that Jesus wears tins. Um, I was like, your Jesus may not. But my my Jesus wears Tim's in a fitted because my Jesus is a black man. Um, but they like those are things that like they have come to understand. Um, the thing that makes this really funny is the majority of my youth group is white. Um, so they so like so that so that's a big part of why I think of how I kind of tailor my mission is like, hey, I have uh, I have the opportunity to be one of uh, the most important people speaking into their lives, right? And to helping them help them form their idea of who God is. And I'm a black woman. I was like, most kids don't have black teachers, let alone a black woman youth pastor. Um, so I'm like, I have the opportunity to help uh, white kids in the church be a, a little less problematic um, and like a little less anti-racist because like I have, you know, this, uh, this, this privilege to be a part of their formation. So um, that's one of the big things. Um, and, and also to let them know that they have the space to be their full and authentic selves, the way that God created them um, and that they are loved by God and me just as they are. I think that is uh, the, the biggest um, step in liberation that we, uh, that we don't learn in the church a lot of times. It's like, well, God will love me if I do this, this, and that, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. We have no, we have no room for that in my youth group. You are loved as you are now. Um, gay, trans, black, white, mixed, whatever. You are loved by God and by me, no matter what. Um, so that's my youth pastor work. I love talking about my my work as a youth pastor. I love my kids. Um, they're the best. Um, but then on the TikTok side. I feel like I have the opportunity to educate um, in such a cool way where people are not, people don't go to TikTok looking for uh, liberation and womanist theology, but I kind of get to show up on their For You page and and kind of surprise people, which is awesome. And, and being able to educate people that there's more uh, theology out there um, because the evangelical white Christian stuff is the, is the mainstream stuff that you're going to see on your bookshelves, on, in the bookstores. You're going to see when you Google Christian books, that's the first stuff you're going to see. So if I have the opportunity to kind of put something out there um, to help educate people, I feel like that is doing the work of liberation. Um, and then I've had the opportunity to do kind of some cool things uh, like 
uh, I was a part of a group that hosted the first deconstruction conference um, called Decon uh, back in December. And that, uh, I think hearing the testimonies and the, the reviews from that was amazing about how that space was so healing for people to be able to hear from pastors, um, uh, lay leaders, people who have left the church, people who are now atheists um, across the board um, and really just hear their experiences of what deconstruction has looked like and what their journey has looked like. Um, and just trying to do different things like that where I just uh, give people opportunities to, to think and consider that God might be bigger than the God that they were given um, and some tools and some resources on where to kind of go, go from there. So I think that's, yeah, I like to say liberation is, is it's the water I swim in as a pastor and a minister. Um, because if I'm not doing liberation work in my ministry, uh, my ministry is probably no good to anybody. Yeah, that's so good to me. So I know on TikTok, because again, that's how I encounter you. Um, Which is so I, cool for me, by the way. I'm like, <laughs> I feel a little like a little TikTok star. Like seriously, like, so there are a few people that I follow. You were one of the ones. And then Donnell was the other. I love Donnell. He's amazing. <laughs> and I think Michael was the other. So okay. because literally I was like, when I first got on TikTok, I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so I was like, what am I supposed to be looking for? But I found this amazing community um, of people who can help me even now, even though I've been in it for a minute with deconstruction and really mm-hmm. try to unpack a lot of things that I don't think have really been talked about. So I know personally, I appreciate your voice and I appreciate the work that you're doing on TikTok and beyond. Um, because Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah, it's really, really needed. Um, you said something that I think is powerful that I think leads and kind of into the next question. Um, I love this concept of liberating God. Mm-hmm. That that spoke to me. Like I really love it. Yeah. And I really think it's God being in bondage for a lot of us that have created these systems um, of oppression and power that people try to hold on to um, and a version of God. Cause I don't even mm-hmm. think they just be using God in their own way, but um, the version of God um, and that some people feel like God is only for their liberation. And so they create these systems and they create yeah. powers um, with the work that you're doing for, you know, your kids and the work that you're doing on TikTok. <clears throat> what are things that you feel like in your work that you can do or are doing to knock down these systems of oppression. And I know the big one is to help people liberate God. And if you want to expound on that a little bit more, that would be amazing. Cause I think that is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I think that the idea of liberating God is one that I think um, is kind of, has been the, at least for me, the kind of the core of what my deconstruction has looked like. I, when I started, I didn't have the, the term deconstruction. I just knew that uh, I was in uh, divinity school and I took a black theology class and I was sure that my professor was not a Christian. I was like, she, this, this lady has to be a heretic. She's talking about stuff I've never heard before. Um, and I will always say that I made a fool of myself in that class because I talked so much out of my ignorance because I was trying to keep God in this box. I was like, no, God is the God that I was giving, right? So I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about with this black theology stuff, but like God ain't never say that. Um, but 
in that process and, and through my process of being in divinity school and, and uh, all of that, I think I saw that there was more to God and more to expressions of church, expressions of faith than I ever thought possible because I grew up in a small, uh, literally a 20 person church, um, church plant that was uh, kind of Pentecostal in nature. And there was, you know, strict things we could and couldn't do and all of that. And if we watched something, then the demons was going to come out the TV and get us and all this other stuff. And I was like, it seems like the God in me seems real fragile that, you know, if I if I watch Pokemon, the demon's gonna come get me. Forget everything else I, I was doing, right? All week, been praying, reading my Bible, all of that. But like, if I do this, if I do that, um, if I, you know, one time, like it's over, the demons are gonna, you know, take over. And I was like, God just seems real fragile. Um, this is not the this is not the powerful, mighty God that we talk about. Um, and then I think just the more I experienced life and talked to people. Um, and actually read scripture for myself um, without this kind of lens of how it was being interpreted to me, which I realized that the pastor I grew up with, he didn't read those scriptures for himself for the most part. He read with the lens of the interpretation that he heard when he heard it preached. So it's one dude's interpretation that's being passed down through preachers and preachers and preachers. And I'm like, you never even actually read this story for yourself. Um, And now that's given to me as my view of God. I'm like, I got to, I got to, I got to scratch that and start over. And like, let's actually look at scripture and see who God is there. Um, so for me, that was kind of my process of kind of having my, my world shaking um, in some classes and being like, okay, I think I really got to figure this out. Um, and having, uh, and having this, uh, the tools of like liberation theology to say, actually, God cares about the things that you care about. God is like, not just telling you what you can and cannot do and trying to control you, but like God is actually with you and wants to be with you and is with uh, those who are oppressed and marginalized. And, and for me, that was my liberating of God, right? Of like, oh, there's a God that is more than just telling me what I can and cannot do and what would make me sinful and what would send me to hell. So th- I think we all have to kind of go on that journey of, hmm, there's some things that I don't think... Are, are sitting right. And let's like, let's push on those a little bit, right? Let's push on the edges of these boxes and see that when we start to push on these, they don't really hold up so much. Um, and, to, and to not consider that sinful, to not consider that uh, having lack of faith, but really saying, this is what like, the people in the Bible asked Jesus questions, right? They were like, um, Jesus, um, how, how is this so, right? Um, he was Jesus was never afraid of of answering questions. He never answered questions, you know, directly. But he was never he never said, "Don't question me." Um, so I think God invites us to do that, and that really shows our faith, right? Because when we're not wrestling with those things, where we're not really asking questions about who God is, do we care, right? Um, and usually we're usually we're told, "Oh, if you question God, you have a lack of faith." Actually, I think that shows more faith than anything. Um, so that's that's kind of me uh, in my thoughts on liberating God. And then um, I think tearing down systems that oppress, I think for me feels like a twofold thing. And I think is a twofold thing of one, living uh, living a life of resistance. Um, I very much uh, try to live my life in ways where I'm thinking critically about, okay, I know that hyper individuality, hyper individualism 
kills people, right? Like this idea that I need to do everything by myself and I need to, it's just me, myself and I. So I intentionally try to live in community, right? I intentionally surround myself with people who have families and who have kids. And, you know, I do life with my best friend and I'm like, hey, if I'm going to spend more than $150, I need you to, I need to just kind of say, hey, this isn't dumb, right? Um, And sometimes she's like, another pair of shoes? Like you just bought sneakers. I was like, you're right. I did just buy sneakers. I totally forgot. Right. But, and for some people, they're like, how are you going to tell me how to spend my money? But it's a, it's an inviting accountability. It's inviting community in a way that, uh, that capitalism tells us that we don't have to, right. That society tells us that we don't have to. Um, so I think I try to live my life in that way where I'm, uh, kind of intentionally going against systems that oppress, right. Going back to the fight, the power, like, if you're telling me I should live one way, I'm pretty much going to try to do the opposite um, because I'm pretty sure that that's going to lead to more life for me. Um, and then uh, systemically for me as somebody who is a pastor in a uh, more evangelical denomination, uh, it's a very small denomination called the Vineyard Movement. I think I try to, uh, when possible and when it's healthy for me, be in spaces where I can um, sit at tables and continue to kind of press issues and press buttons, right? Um, We had a Black pastors gathering and they were like, you know, why do people not like to go to, you know, certain gatherings with other pastors? I'm like, because they're rude. Because they don't want, because they don't want to connect, because they don't want to network, right? Because I've gone to the same regional conference for three years and the same dude can't remember my name and I'm the only black woman pastor in the region, right? Like, but to be in those spaces, to keep pushing it and to say, oh no, it's not just a me thing. It's not just a small inconvenience to me or it's not a bigger issue or I already brought it up. So I don't want to be a bother. And for women, we, it's hard for us to kind of be, to, to kind of nag, right? But to, but to really nag those systems and to say, hey, if I have space to be in a room, if I have space to sit at a table, I'm gonna sit here and nag. And every time I show up, you're gonna, I'm gonna nag. Um, I think about, I'm such a dork, but I think about uh, my favorite movie is Brown Sugar, um, and uh, he and uh, Tay Dig shows up with the CD, and he's like, I'm gonna show up with this CD until you listen to it, and every week I'm gonna come back with this CD until you put this here CD on the rotation, and that's kind of what I think about every time you have a meeting, I'm going to show up and I'm going to tell you, hey, you're overlooking black and brown people. Hey, you're not being accessible. And either you're going to get tired of hearing me and stop inviting me, or you're going to fix it. Um, And sometimes we're, sometimes we're not in the place to do it. Sometimes it's not, uh, it's not a good idea for, for our well-being. but whenever possible, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll go to the meeting and I'll tell you exactly what's wrong. And I'll keep telling you what's wrong until we fix it. So at least that's that's my take. No, that's good. Um, I so I want to put this. You're right. I think that there are contexts where yes, you need to do that. But I want to also tell people if you are a person of color, especially a black person, a person of color, there are gonna be times you don't have the energy, <laughs> the energy to do that. And I think having folks around you who are true allies to pick oh, yeah. that up for you is yeah. also helpful. Um, yeah, that's why because, I, I, I want to say, like, if it is healthy for you to do so, yes. do that. If not, don't let that be your battle. 
Exactly. Because I'm like, I'm like, I can't. There are days that, okay, I can engage. And then there are days I'm like, I ain't got the energy for this. No. Um, And I think it goes back to something that um, we talked about in a previous episode, which was that liberation is a group project. Yes. Yes. It requires that. Um, And, you know, like literally in the faith space that I serve in, we literally say that, like we have Mm -hmm. queer folks and trans folks who encounter folks online who are coming at them they'll just tag us and be like can y'all please help because I don't have I'm like sure I got you (laughs) and so as a black person a lot of them are white they're like when y'all are encountering stuff like that and you don't have the energy tag us in and I'm like Mm -hmm. we'll do (laughs) because they're just days so we're all committed to liberation for each other exactly and that means like you're saying pushing keep pushing back and I think that's a big piece of uprooting the systems of power and oppression is that you keep doing it because mm-hmm. at some point, like you keep hitting against a foundation, at some point it's going to get a crack in it. You got to keep yeah. pushing until we can knock it all the way down. Um, and so that's, that's, that is paramount for people who are around me. If I feel like you are not contributing to other folks being heard and freed and all mm-hmm. of those things, no. it's a no for me like it's going to be a very hard <laughs> a very Cause none hard because uh as women before us have always said none of us are free until all of us are free yes so if you are okay like watching somebody else be be oppressed no nope. no and I, and honestly i don't even know if that could be considered liberation like if if it's i'm not. the only if i'm the only person that can get liberated and you're still over there in bond and I'm watching it. It's not like, yeah, like I'm just watching it. Cause in that, cause I believe that like watching and being a bystander to oppression does something to our hearts. Right. Like liberation is also for white people. Right. Because yes. like there is a, uh, uh, a negative effect. There's like this degrading of like their well-being to be a part of, uh, such an oppressive system. Like, it's literally for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we kind of talked about that on an early episode as well, where, <clears throat> and I and I, I agree with you. I think white people sometimes think that liberation is for them. It's like, no, 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 it is. Mm-hmm. It's like you being liberated from literally systems that you've been born into. So, yes. but now seeing it and now like, wait a minute, there is, yeah, this is, that's what white supremacy looks like. That's what whiteness mm-hmm. is like. Oh my gosh. Now I understand this is what privilege looks like. And yeah. I think being able to see that and being liberated in that, it mm-hmm. makes it makes all of us, <laughs> literally yes. all of us better. I want makes more it. people to become yes. aware. <laughs> aware yeah. and willing to have conversations, like literally. And it's, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. We, yes. uh, for Black History Month uh, with my students, we watched Tequila and the Bee um and had a conversation about privilege and I was like you know if you guys you know saw yourselves in the movie do you think you'd be like you know with the Keela in the hood or you know with the Beverly Hills folks and the kids were so scared to say oh we're privileged and we would be with the Beverly Hills kids they're like oh we'd be somewhere in the middle I was like y'all I was like I was like how many times have you been to Switzerland skiing no mm you don't get to count. No, you, you would exactly. not be with people in the hood. Um, but they, but like, 
even as, you know, middle schoolers, they're like, oh man, like, I don't want to acknowledge this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm like, it doesn't, I was like, this is not, you know, I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying that this makes you a bad person, but this is something you got to understand and like realize. And they were scared to say, oh yeah, we're proof. I'm like, so raise your hand. How many of you have been to Europe? And I think all but two hands went up. Wow. Um, And of and of course, they're like, oh, no, 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 it's not my fault. It's because of what my dad does for, I was like, I'm not saying anything bad about it. Uh, and I was like, guys, I remember going on my first plane, my first plane ride that I can remember at 21 years old. And somebody said, really? I remember going on flights when I was four. I was like, so are you seeing the privilege, guys? I was like, are you seeing it? And these are middle schoolers. So I'm like trying to be, you know, patient with them. But I'm like, the reason why I'm having these conversations now is because your parents probably haven't had these conversations until they were way older. Right. right? So I'm like, I'm actually trying to do the liberation work for you so that you can go through life seeing. Yes, there are systems of privilege. And they were like, oh, that's not fair that you've never been skiing. I was like, are you understanding what privilege is now? Right. Like my family couldn't afford that. So like, I think, uh, even with white kids, like I'm really trying to do the work of helping them to see that, yeah, this is, this isn't, um, systems of privilege isn't just um, helping you, but it's actually, it's actually a system altogether that needs to be torn down. Um, So it's, it's hard work, especially to get adults to get there. Yeah. And then I I think part of a part of them don't want to admit it because mm-hmm. and I, I want to say this some having some privileges is privileges is not a bad thing yeah. you just need to acknowledge like for me mm-hmm. it's like I understand being able to have an education right like be able yeah. to go to college I've gotten a master's degree I'm going back for a, a third a second one so mm-hmm. to me that's a privilege because everybody's not able to do that that doesn't make me a bad person because I've had resources or somebody has sponsored because y'all listen the resources are important because mm-hmm. paying for a degree out of pocket is uh not fun i just no. want to go on record to say that so but i understand i need, I need joe to uh to forgive these <laughs> listen i need these student loans forgive in okay? okay um the second one that i'm about to go for you know it's taking care of tuition because mm. of a program with the school so, but still having access to that and being able to do that for me, education is a big part of that. That's not a bad thing, but I can mm-hmm. acknowledge that I've been able to be in rooms or have certain relationships that got me to that point. So I think sometimes when good things are happening to us, yeah, we don't like to admit it like, oh, no, 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 that's not a pretty, like, but it, mm-hmm. but it is because somehow that makes us feel bad. the amount of times I downplayed I've downplayed where I went and got my my master's degree from because I'm like ooh, I don't want to sound too privileged I'm like I'm like knowing that literally the only way I could go was because tuition was covered right um and I still had to take out a couple loans to like just be able to like not have to you know break my back working to like support myself but I'm like uh they're like oh where'd you get your your MDiv from oh just a small school in Connecticut (laughs) they're like Connecticut where I was like oh you know just it's it's a small school in New Haven you might not have heard of it um I will go through 20 questions before I tell you where I go to school because (laughs) I feel we I feel weird about the privilege of that 
Um, so I definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah. So I just feel like with especially younger kids and then with everything going on, like the battle against CRT, the battle, like, it's just like, yeah. no, I don't want to feel bad <laughs> myself. So I'm going to just mm-hmm. say, no, it's not privilege. But that doesn't make it any less privileged just because you want to acknowledge that it's yeah. privilege. Just FYI. Yeah, I'm, but- I'm, I'm super grateful that I have I have parents who understand who I am and where I come from. Um, so they know that uh, liberation theology, critical race, like all of that is in yes. there um, and they're going to get it all. Uh, and if they don't like it, find another youth pastor. <laughs> like there uh, are options. There are options yeah. for you. But I have it. never, I've so far, I've never had a problem with, with parents. So I'm super blessed in that way. That's really amazing. Um, I think that leads to my next question. So as you start thinking about future and, you know, <clears throat> as you continue to think through the ways in which you are liberating um, folks, but ways that you want to liberate. Um, where do you hope to accomplish? Like, what are you seeing in the future for you yourself as far as continuing the work of liberation? Man, um, there's so many things. Um, I am, yeah, I'm a person who, who loves being busy um, and loves, uh, yeah, loves the work I do. So, um, one of the things is this, uh, this past month, I led my first uh, book group on Red Lip Theology by Candace Marie Bimbo, uh, which was so amazing. Um, and it was a group of four or five women. Um, and we met uh, four weeks in a row, um, just talking through this book and processing kind of what it was bringing up for us. So I want to create more spaces like that for, uh, for people, especially women, to kind of process experiences um, to think through theology in a way that doesn't have to be um, inaccessible or super academic where it feels um, kind of just like, yeah, inaccessible. Um, but but we can really kind of use common language and, um, yeah, uh, familiar concepts to talk through theology. Um, and, yeah, and to expand uh, folks' perspectives and just uh, takes on what, what faith can look like. Um, so want to create more spaces of like doing book talks. Um, one of the privileges uh, that I will admit that I have is by being um, close to Yale University, I have contacts with uh, people who are always writing books. Um, I always have friends who are writing books. Um, so to do more uh, kind of book talks on, on those types of things. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm really thinking about how to kind of grow this TikTok thing um, and to, uh, to really be able to reach more people. Uh, I'm dipping my toe a little bit in, you know, doing some consulting and things like that. So, uh, so, I mean, as far as, uh, liberation theology and just like, uh, having a womanist or liberation lens on, on, uh, kind of perspectives in the church, uh, especially within like multi-ethnic churches, I would say that, uh, I've been doing, uh, yeah, a good, a good amount of work recently on, um, helping multi-ethnic churches to be safe spaces for black people, especially black women. Um, that has been a thing that the church I cur- currently serve at has, we've been working through and are working through. Um, and I'd love, I don't know if I want to say I love, I can appreciate that all these, these churches wanting to be more diverse. I, I kind of get it, but I think for me, it is most important that they are p- places that are safe spaces um, and not, places of just harm for diversity sake and for 
for it to look good. Um, so I'm doing uh, a lot of work and more writing on how to have these spaces that are not just, um, yeah, just traumatizing to people of color in a different way, right? So you leave, you know, if you leave the black church for some of their issues and you go to a, a multicultural church and you're like, okay, this is supposed to be better, but now I'm just being traumatized in a different way. Like there's, I think that we can do a better work. We can do a better job of that. Um, so I'm doing writing on those things. Um, yeah, and just continue to, to provide resources and, uh, and to uh, educate folks that there is more out there. Um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to convert everybody to be a womanist. So um, in whatever way I can like, you know, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is, I'm like, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people don't know that there's these other lanes of theology out there. Um, they don't know that there's alternatives. Um, so I'm just trying to get where I can to, to be like, there is more, there is more, God is bigger. Um, you have more options than just uh, what you were given. So any way I can do that is what I'm trying to do. Um, and then I have, you know, the privilege to pour into like, you know, uh, students right in front of me. Um, like I have, I think this year I have four girls going off to college. Um, so I'm like, hey, y'all, whatever I can give, whatever I can do um, to kind of uh, know that they are, uh, yeah, to give them that, that, uh, that confidence and that kind of liberated sense of self um, and sense of faith before they go off into the world is what I will do. So, um, so we have lots of coffee dates uh, this spring. I love it. Yeah. I, first of all, your voice is so needed. Um, <clears throat> I know people typically are hesitant about the social media space, but I think it is a perfect, um, a perfect way of giving people God and representing God mm -hmm. and introducing God to folks who will never set foot in another yeah. church or, um, I was having a conversation with a friend and um, I was telling him, I was like, you literally are people's pastor, like, mm -hmm. because you're doing this in a non-traditional way. Um, I was like, people need that and people will find truth. You just have to keep going. Like people will find you. So you got to be okay. You got to be okay yeah. with being that lone voice in the wilderness. You got to be okay with that. Um, so can I tell a quick story? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So uh, speaking of being like a people's pastor, um, when I was a grad student, there was a, there was a donut shop that I would go to every day. Um, and I had, I just, they had cheap food and good tables with uh, Wi-Fi and power outlets. So I was there every day as a grad student. Um, and I found myself just getting to know the people and um, just the people who work there. And we just developed a relationship. And then after a while, I found myself sitting at the counter. I'm like, am I sitting here doing pastoral care and counseling? I'm like, I was like, hey, how are you? He was like, I was waiting for you to come in. He was like, you know, me and my wife had a fight. I was like, oh, this is what this is. Um, great. Okay. This is so literally uh, I, folks at my church, uh, I was an intern at the time. They would, you know, they make jokes all the time. They're like, oh yeah, she got a donut ministry. She got a donut ministry. But I did though, but and I think sometimes we overlook the uh, the impact that we can have of just being a regular somewhere, yes. and just building relationships and just like just being good people. Yes, like I wish 
Christians out there would just be better people um, and stop being so worried about looking like good Christians. And if we were just like nice people, uh, like it would make so much of a difference. Um, So my suggestion and my recommendation to everybody is find a place to be a regular. Um, And you will never know how many people um, you will just like uh, change their perspective on just humanity, let alone people of faith um, by just being a regular somewhere. Yeah. And I think that emphasizes kind of why I wanted to start this space Um, that yes, it's a podcast, but I'm working on this actually being a community because I really started talking to a lot of women who were like, they've left the church or, and so they were like, well, you know, I can't do what I do anymore. And I was like, no, Mm -hmm. that's not true. And I was like, if God called you to that, yeah, God called you you to that. You're going to do it wherever you go. Wherever. And so um, I had a friend who she was very much so, you know, congregational care. And I'm like, you can still do that. I'm like, it may not be in the traditional sense of what a church is. I was like, but you still can do that. I want you to reimagine what does God's Mm -hmm. calling for me look like? Yeah. How can I how can I express what God is calling me to do? How can I create something different? And I'm like, that's what it takes. I was like, because there are people that we do need to reach. They're not going to come in the traditional way. They're not coming back to church. That's just not what they plan on doing. But they still go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and that goes back to liberating God, right? Like yes. that, like we expect that serving God means we are serving in the four walls of the church and we are, you know, the people come to us and we serve them there. Nope. Nope. God is at the gym and God is uh, at the donut shop and God is at the coffee shop. Like yes. that's where people are. So like, that's where people like, that's where we need to be. I did. I realized my call to ministry by being an RA because I was, an RA in college. And I was like, I think this is pastoring. Yeah. I was like, I think I'm doing the work of pastoring as a resident assistant in college. Maybe I should like consider this whole like pastoral thing. So, uh, you can, yeah, you can do the work wherever you are. Yeah. And that's the key part of go. He said, go ye therefore. Mm -hmm. That means you got to travel somewhere, go do something. You don't have to expect people to come to you. Go is a very pertinent word. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, like you're saying, I really wish we would be just, first of all, regular somewhere and Mm -hmm. think it will restore people's faith in in folks and more specifically Christian folks. Cause Mm -hmm. let's be honest. Some of the Christian folks then gave it a really bad reputation. And I, (laughs) that if we're people here, like, oh God, you're a Christian. Oh no. So so you're absolutely correct. You are so right on that. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave with those who are listening and also let us know where we can find you, how we can follow you, any projects that you're working on that floor is yours? Um, final thoughts. Um, now nah, I think I gave it, go be a regular somewhere and go be a good person. Um, but you can follow me on, uh, both TikTok and Instagram at Rev Raya, uh, at R E V R I A H, uh, at Rev Raya. Um, yeah. And, um, I think this, uh, hopefully either end of this month, next month, I'll be doing a TikTok series on like, what is womanism and like, what are the core the foundational ideas and themes of womanism and kind of breaking those down. 
So if you are curious about a deep dive into womanist theology, um, definitely follow me on TikTok. Um, yeah, that's about it. Please go follow her on TikTok. I promise you, you're not going to regret that. Um, so Rev. Raya, thank you for taking time out of your schedule just to sit down let's chat about liberation. I know liberation is a really complex and deep yeah. topic, but um, I think we covered really, really good ground. So it was awesome having you on the podcast. So thank, thank you, you so much for having me. This was amazing. This is checked off one of my goals for the year was to be on a podcast. Yay. <laughs> well, I'm happy that you were here. And like I say, I'm usually very intentional about the people that I pick for seasons. And so um, I knew I had to have you. So I'm glad. I'm so we, flattered. We could work. It was good. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>